Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it was a treat to wake up this morning uh, to see snow falling, and it is still falling, so thank you for coming out and uh, joining with us as we celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. If, this is, uh, if you don't have a church home and this is your first time with us, we are grateful that you're with us, and we would love for you to come back next Sunday to uh, begin to engage in life around this church family. Uh, we want you to know that you're not just welcome on special Sundays, but every single Sunday. So we're glad that you're with us this morning. Our First Impressions team is going to be handing out connection card booklets. And so if, uh, if you're with us for the first time, fill out that gray section. If there is a next step for you to take next week, we're going to be celebrating baptisms. And so we'd encourage you to take that step if that's the next step for you. All right. Uh, if the students want to come up who are reading Scripture today, as they're coming up, I want to share with you some Crosspoint family news so you can be aware and be praying. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Stephen and Lauren Souter on the birth of their third child. Emmy Jane was born on December 18th, and so we rejoice with them. And you'll see this week a link on our, our, on our uh, connection link email, as well as Facebook, a way for you to sign up and bless them with a meal. And then our sympathies and prayers are with a couple families who lost loved ones uh, this past week. Uh, Chris Troyer's mom passed away. And Steve and Jerry Hetz be praying for their family because Steve's father passed away this last week. So um, with the Christmas season, and some of you are fully aware of this because you walk in uh, grieving the loss of loved ones, so we want to be, be praying for them. And uh, I pray that this service would be an encouragement to you uh, as we look at the Scripture together. I've asked some students to read for some of the Christmas story from uh, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. So Luke uh, 1, 26-38 is, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by the statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she, she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is her, the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to, to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Uh, this is Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire world. This was the first census that took place when Cornelius was governor, governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judah, to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there was shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph in the baby, lying in the manger. When they had seen him, the word, they spread the word concerning what had happened and been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds who told them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them into her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they have heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. Uh, today we are looking at a, um, using a lyric from O Holy Night, a thrill of hope, and using that to, to kind of jump into our message and look at Scripture together. And I love Christmas carols because some of the things that they do is they, they're not authority of Scripture but they point us to Scripture, and they point us to truth found in Scripture. And I love that about O Holy Night or even the songs that we sang earlier today. And so uh, before we get going here, uh, to engage the students and to engage some of you who are already kind of maybe feeling some carb uh, feeling from uh, the 9 to 10 o'clock hour. Um, so I, I am, but I've got to talk, and you don't have to talk. So I'm going to stay engaged because I've got to talk, but you don't have to. So uh, to get us engaged, I want to see what kind of musical tastes we have here. So I've got four songs, and I would like to see what, what the most popular song is. And, and these are songs that have nothing to do with the Advent season, right? Nothing to do with Luke 1 or 2, nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, these are just to see what kind of musical tastes reside here in the Cross Point living room, okay? So I'm going to give you four options. We need 100% voter turnout, even with the weather, all right? And so you're going you're gonna, to uh, vote for yours by clapping and cheering, okay? So here are your four, uh, four options. And then uh, we'll go from there. White Christmas. I'm dreaming. No, 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 don't, don't clap yet because that's going to sway the vote if we start to do that. I want to hear all four options. You see the whole ballot and then we vote, okay? All right. Um, not just the first guy. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock, jingle bell, okay? Uh, grandma got ran over by a reindeer. And then the last one, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, Jack Frost nipping. That one? Okay. So there's your four. White Christmas, Jingle Bell Rock, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Nothing to do with Jesus or Advent or Luke 1 and 2. So let's vote. Clapping and cheering. First vote is, or first one is White Christmas. Okay. Jingle Bell Rock. You learned something about this. Grandma got ran over by a reindeer? I might change my entire message now. <laughs> Heaven's sakes. Uh, last one, chestnuts roasting over, over an, uh, an open fire. That one. Huh. All right. I don't know if I can pastor you people. Okay, so that's the winner. Um, 
Okay, let's talk about Jesus, because that didn't... <laughs> White Christmas? Seriously? Come on. It's one, the, one of those, of all Sundays, I thought that'd be the one. Um, all right, let's, uh, we're going to talk about O Holy Night. The first verse says this, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. In the mid-1800s, a priest in a small town in France asked a local poet to write a poem based on Luke chapter 2. That poet's first name was Placide. Placide wasn't actually a Christian and lived a pretty ungodly life, and so he, commissioned, he was commissioned by the priest to write this poem. And then later, a person uh, put words and, or put music to it in 1855. At that point, the song began, uh, began to gain a lot of popularity among the church, and its uh, a popularity spread. Then later, word got out about Placide and who wrote it, and that he wasn't really a Christian, and so the church at that point tried to stop the song from being spread, but they couldn't stop it at that point. And then on Christmas Eve, 1906, a man by the first name of Reginald, an inventor from Canada, broadcast the first AM radio program. Part of that first program was one of the first songs that he played with his own violin was O Holy Night, and then he sang the final verse. And so one of the first songs to be broadcast on radio was this song. And there's your Christmas carol history for the day. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. I think one way we might describe our world is weary. And keep in mind, that word was chosen 150 years ago. You and I might even describe our own lives with the word weary. Or maybe not weary, but we'd use words such as exhausted, worn out, fatigued, tired. Maybe it's a recent job loss and somehow the, the money that was coming in isn't the same amount of money that was coming in before. Or maybe your work-life balance with this demanding job is not what it needs to be. Maybe you're feeling a little beat up or worn out with addiction. It could be a substance, a habit, a pattern that is destructive. You run to it for escape, and yet in the end, it actually leaves you feeling worn out. The internal battle that you're feeling has you weary. It has you with a sense of hopelessness. Maybe it's a relationship conflict, a strain among your household, your marriage, your extended family, even among your friends, and you would describe your heart as weary or without hope that there's going to be reconciliation or restoration. Maybe it's parenting. And I don't care what age of kids you have, but the, the, the desire to shepherd your children's hearts toward the Lord, whatever their age is, has, has you a bit weary. Maybe it's disease or sickness. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. This season has a way of magnifying that, doesn't it? Especially if it's your first season with that. You hear the words, a thrill of hope, and you're like, I don't really believe that because I've walked through this this year. I've walked through this 10 years ago, and it's still with me. And a thrill of hope, I don't know about that. And I pray that the Scripture today and the Spirit of God would encourage your heart and comfort your heart. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. In this life, we will either find our hope horizontally or vertically, in the things around us or in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our default is to hope horizontally. If I were to ask you where your hope is found, what would you say? Now, I'm not talking about what the right answer to say is, or if we were sitting across the table, you'd clean up your answer because you're sitting across from the pastor, or you're sitting in a church building, and you're like, well, the right answer is Jesus, or Bible, or prayer, one of those. 
I'm talking about what's the, what's the real answer. Where are you really finding your hope? Who are you finding your hope in? What are you finding your hope in? Is your hope in what the doctor says or that they can solve? Is your hope in the stock market and the balance of your accounts? Is your hope in the boyfriend or girlfriend completing something in you that is missing? Is your hope in the other person to make that first move toward reconciliation? Is your hope in that kind of that vague tomorrow? Well, tomorrow will be better. Is your hope there? Is your hope in the government or politics? I think the source of our hope often gets exposed when those, when those sources are false, when those sources fail us, when the doctor doesn't have any more answers, or when the account didn't have a great quarter or year end, or when that boyfriend or girlfriend who was supposed to be the one isn't the one, or when you're waiting on the other person to make that first move toward reconciliation and they never moved. Or when tomorrow comes and circumstances don't necessarily change. Or, or when the person you elected doesn't do what you would want them to do. Or the person you were hoping to get elected doesn't get elected. And what we find in those moments is when that horizontal hope gets exposed in our hearts, the Lord is at work in us, reminding us that our ultimate hope is to be in Him and Him alone. A vertical hope in Him eternally and not a horizontal hope in the temporary a vertical hope in a forever faithful God and not a horizontal hope that, it, that will inevitably fail us and leave us weary. When we try to find our thrill of hope in anything other than Jesus, it leaves us weary. Paul Tripp said this, the doorway to hope is hopelessness. He writes, it sounds contradictory, doesn't it? But the only way you will ever find true hope is to give up on all those places where you've put your hope in. If we're looking for, at another person, a job, a possession, a status of life, and status of life I mean such as uh, uh, when we have kids, when the kids leave, when I get to college, when I graduate college, when I get to some financial status, whatever that number it is that you've, you've uh, determined, or when we get out of this, or when we're able to go experience this, that's what I'm talking about, a status of life, when we look to those things, Inevitably, they're not going to lead us to a place of steady, confident, un unchanging hope. I believe today the Spirit not only wants to expose the false horizontal hopes in us, but wants us to replace those. Not just remove those, but replace those with a forever hope, an eternal hope in a forever faithful God. A hope that leads to rejoicing and not to weariness. Hope is defined as this, according to the Bible Dictionary, not mere expectation and desire, but includes trust, confidence, and refuge in the God of hope. So not mere expectation and desire. That's what Bears fans are, right? You go, oh, maybe this year. No, we're still terrible. Oh, maybe this year. No, we're still terrible. When's it 1985 again? That's what, but this is different. It includes trust, confidence, and refuge in the God of hope. And today in Luke 1, what we see, this is what we see Mary doing. Luke 1 and the coming of Jesus as a baby. In the overall story of Scripture, it lands after the Old Testament, after 400 years of silence between Malachi and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is full of stories of people trying to find their hope in horizontal things, such as religious activity or idolatry or living for self or the pleasures of this world. The storyline of Scripture begins with great hope, 
Genesis 1 and 2, it's creation. Everything is at peace. There's shalom. But all hope is lost by Genesis 3 with the fall of man and the disease of sin entering the world. And yet hope is promised to come one day. And in the person of Jesus Christ, that promised hope has come. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, the idea of hope is linked with faith in God and linked with what we can't see. And so in Scripture, you see the subject talked about in the Old Testament. You see the subject of hope talked about in the Old Testament. You see it talked about in the, in the book of Acts and the epistles. You don't see it talked about much in the Gospels. Why? Because the promised hope was physically able to be seen right there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You don't hear the subject of hope talked about much there, but you see it on the other ends of the Gospels. In this passage that we'll look at today, Jesus has not been born yet. Hope in the birth of Jesus has been promised to Mary, but, but that's it at this point. Her and Joseph aren't in Bethlehem. There's no Son of God to hold in her arms. So hope is still unseen. And in the song that she sings, it is clear that she has vertical hope and not a horizontal one. Verse 38 again, she said this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. So the angel tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth, who is said to be barren, is also pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God, Mary. And that's where we pick up the story then in verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then, then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. So remember the context of the story. Mary is a virgin teenage woman, engaged to be married, lives in a very small town, probably a few hundred people. She's preparing for a wedding. The angel shows up and her life has suddenly changed. Now she's with child but not married yet, what will the small town people say? In those moments of certainty, where is she going to find her hope? We clearly find the answer to that in the song of praise she starts singing in verse 46. And in this song, she's going to be singing about who our God is, that her hope is in Him. Horizontal hopes will never lead to a trust and confidence and refuge that, that we are seeking. It is clear in this song, Mary trusts in Him, that her God is her refuge. And my prayer is that as we read this passage, we might be reminded of who our God is. And that would lead us to a trust and confidence in Him that we would be people who would find our refuge not in horizontal things, but in vertical relationship with the Lord that is, that is faithful and is good. Verses 46 through 55, And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. I want to pull out seven things in there. I'm not expecting you to remember all seven. I don't have them written down anywhere. I don't have them up on the screen. But I pray that as we go through this, it might just remind us about who our God is. And our God, the perfect picture of our God, the image of the invisible God, is Jesus, whose birth we celebrate this morning. Verse 48, she says, He has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. The first one is, is our God is aware. He's aware. Mary is saying, he knows my situation. She's thinking, my God knows that my life will never be the same. My reputation may come into question, but he has not forgotten me. He loves me. He sees me. He is a personal God desiring a relationship with his creation. He's not far off. In the sending of a son, we, we see that reminder that he has come near. He knows all. He sees all. He knows every day of our life, every hair on our head. He knows you by name. He created you and knew you before your mom knew you. Psalm 34, 18 says that he is near to the brokenhearted. Not far off, but near. Knowing our God is aware leads us to a vertical hope in him, a trust that he has not forgotten us, that he is keenly aware of our situations and our life and what we are facing and what we don't even know what we're facing in the future. In verse 49 and 51, she says that he's mighty and strong. Our God is powerful. That doesn't mean that for those who trust in him, that everything always goes perfectly for them, that you'll always come out on top, but it does mean that nothing and no one, including death and suffering, can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. It does mean that when we experience trouble in this life, that our Savior and Lord promised that He has overcome this world. It does mean that nothing is impossible with our God. That nothing was impossible for Him in the Old Testament. Nothing is impossible with Him in the New Testament in giving a, a virgin, producing a child, cross, resurrection, coming back to life. That nothing is impossible with our God to this day because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We worship a God who is mighty and strong and powerful, who has the strong arm to deliver and redeem, heal, restore, comfort, save, and rescue. Knowing our God is mighty and strong leads us to a vertical hope in Him, a confidence that we do not worship a puny and weak God. We worship a mighty and strong God, a God who is able and a God who is aware in verse 49, Mary declares that our God is holy. No evil can come from him. He's perfect and holy. No stain, no blemish, no imperfection. When we come up against God's holiness, we are face to face with our own unholiness, right? We, we recognize that we've fallen short of that holiness. And yet, when we look at the person and work of Jesus, we are reminded of how he, while we were still sinners, died for us, died for us who are ungodly. And so even in our unholiness, knowing that, we don't run away from Him to try to clean ourselves up. We run to Him because He's good. Knowing our God is holy leads us to a vertical hope in Him, 
a place of confidence that he is altogether good, that he has our best interests in mind. And even in difficulty, we know this, that he is working out all things together for the good of those who love him. In verse 50, Mary declares our God is merciful. He withholds justice that we deserve as sinners, gives us grace through Christ instead. He didn't have to rescue us. He didn't have to send Jesus, but he did because he's merciful, because he's loving. His mercy extends from generation to generation. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Knowing our God is merciful leads us to a vertical hope in him, a refuge that even though we are not holy, that in Christ we are given his holiness, and in Christ we've been a way has been made for us to find refuge and find salvation and find relationship with our Creator. In verse 53, we're told that our God satisfies. Our God is a giver. He's generous. At Christmas, we remember that He gave Himself to us through Jesus. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Horizontal things that we are tempted to put our hope in inevitably do not satisfy If we chase after things like control or money or pride or pleasure, any of those earthly things, if those become ultimate in our lives, we'll end up living this life on a proverbial treadmill that leaves us weary and hopeless in the end. Knowing our God satisfies leads us to a vertical hope in Him, a trust that His ways, His word, actually lead to life, actually lead to joy, lead to freedom, that our ways and our own words don't do that. That in the end, a relationship with the Lord satisfies because He's the living water, He's the bread of life. In verse 54, Mary sings that our God helps. Mary, in this moment, is not playing the what-if game. What if this happens? What if that happens? What will people say? What if I go back to Nazareth? What's what's Joseph going to say? Instead, she's saying, okay, Historically, God has helped his people all throughout the Old Testament, provided for his people, helped his people. He's constant. He's a rock. He's a cornerstone. That's what she's reminding. God's character is the same. Knowing our God helps leads us to a vertical hope in him, a confidence that when you and I cry out for help, that he's aware and that he helps Because he's a good God. He's not indifferent to our situations or lives. He's not far off or too busy. And throughout this whole song, you have an underlying theme that Mary knows God is faithful. If he says he will do it, he will do it. If it's a promise in Scripture, then that promise will be fulfilled. The Bible tells us that God is not a man that he should lie so he can be completely trusted in every aspect of life. From generation to generation, from the the days of Abraham to today, our God is faithful to his people. Knowing our God is faithful leads us to a vertical hope in him. We can have rock-solid trust and confidence in a God who will always follow through, who will never walk out, who will not forsake, and is eternally consistent You and I can have a hope in a God that is described here in Mary's song. In fact, we would be silly not to put our hope in Him. He's too good not to. He's too pure not to. He's too consistent. 
What we celebrate at Christmas is that our God came in the flesh to dwell among us. The Father sent the Son, who is the exact representation of the Father. 1 Timothy 1.1 tells us that Christ Jesus is our hope. He is who we are called to put our trust and confidence in. A thrill of hope has come at Christmas. It came vertically to us. Angels sang, shepherds worshipped, wise men bowed down because hope had come. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? Not just know about him. Well, it's Christmas when we talk about Jesus. No, do you know him? Not about him, but do you know him personally? Is he your refuge? Is he your strength? Have you placed your trust and confidence in him? Are you not only trusting in him to save you from your sin, but are you following him as your Lord, as the teacher of your life, as the leader of your life? Because in the end, our biggest problem is not horizontal. Our biggest problem is vertical and personal. It is an inner problem of the heart. It is our sin, sin that we are born with, a desire to live for self rather than the Lord, a desire to pursue pride rather than humility, and no horizontal thing can fix that problem in our own hearts. But a thrill of hope has come in Jesus. Hope has been found in Jesus alone. He came from heaven vertically to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life, to die a death that, for sin that he did not commit. And yet, hope didn't die with Jesus. It actually became bigger and brighter on the third day. Because hope beat death. It conquered the enemy. Because our God is mighty and strong. Because rising up on the third day, He proved that He was the Messiah and the Savior. Only through faith in Christ and repenting of our sin can our vertical and personal problem be reconciled. Only in Him can hope truly be found. The same Mary who sang this song of praise in Luke 1, a, a song full of hope in God, was there at the crucifixion. John 19 tells us that. She watched her son who was holy, mighty, strong, merciful, and faithful. She watched him die for our sin. Acts 1.14 tells us that, that Mary was with the disciples in the upper room as they were praying, that she was there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And through all of that, her hope was never in circumstances. It was never in anything horizontal. She was a woman whose hope was vertical in the Lord. So we get the opportunity to see that, that course of life over the pages of Scripture. And today, you and I have the opportunity to ask the Lord to examine our, our own hearts, to see what horizontal hope in our hearts needs to be let go of, needs to be repented of, needs to be confessed so that we might cling tighter to the vertical hope we have in Christ. If the worship team could come back up now. Here in a few minutes, we're going to sing and stand and sing uh, O Holy Night. Again, the lyrics of that first verse is, or first verse is this. <clears throat> o Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining is this idea of wasting away in our sin. Apart from the rescue of Jesus, we were hopeless. 
But when Jesus was born, we are reminded of our worth, that we've been created in his image and likeness. We've been created, created with dignity, value, and worth. We've been created so that we would live for him and no longer live for ourselves. And with his birth comes a thrill of hope. The world that is weary from living in sin rejoices that a rescuer has come. A Savior has come to bring peace between us and the Lord, to break the chains and the power of sin, to set free, to heal and remedy the disease of sin. And our response then to the gospel, our response to Jesus coming to rescue us is the last line that we'll sing. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. I pray that as we consider Mary's song and the truth of the Lord that she sang of, that that might lead us to a growing gratitude and praise and worship. After we sing, O Holy Night, we're going to move into a time of communion. So as we sing this song, my encouragement to you and I is to, is to pray and confess. And Lord, here's a horizontal hope I have before you. And Lord, increase my joy in you. Increase my, my satisfaction in you. Increase my, my uh, cling to you as a vertical hope. Let's ask the Lord to minister to the areas of weariness in us and increase our hope in Him. Let's be people who live with a posture that falls on our knees before Him, not just at Christmas, but as a way of life, worshiping Him supremely, that our hope is in Him at all times and in all seasons. Let's stand and sing and worship.